Hi, this is Dr. Mike Chupp, and you are listening to CMDA Matters, the weekly podcast of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. In this week's episode, I am joined by regular co-host, Dr. Jeff Barrows, and we're going to have a conversation with Professor Robert George from Princeton University. He's one of the country's leading voices on the subject of civil liberties, especially first freedoms. It's a conversation I think is going to inspire you greatly wherever you are and whatever you're doing right now. I don't want to waste any time. It's a great interview, so let's jump right in. Well, today on CMDA Matters, it is an incredible privilege for me to welcome back uh, to the program Professor Robert George. He's the McCormick Professor of Jurisprudence and Director of the James Madison Program in American Ideals and Institutions at Princeton University, which, if my math is correct, he's been there for 38 years on faculty, has been a visiting professor at Harvard Law School, where he got his law degree. He is on numerous influential boards, including Beckett Law, Heritage Foundation, President's Council on a number of issues, international religious freedom advocate, and we're going to have a full bio, Professor Robert George, on our show notes today for our listeners, but thank you for coming back and joining us on CMDA Matters. It's my pleasure, Mike. Thank you for inviting me. And with us today is a, a frequent co-host of mine, Dr. Jeff Barrows, our Senior Vice President of Bioethics and Public Policy. And we appreciate that you've agreed, Jeff and I, to talk a little bit about conscience uh, as it impacts institutions and individuals within healthcare. And I, I just wanted to start off by asking if you could give us a little bit of a prognostication over the next five to 10 years on what are you excited about, optimistic about in terms of free speech, religious liberties, and conscience protections, but then also what maybe dampens your optimism a little bit over the next five to 10 years here in America? Well, if you'd like me to go in that order, Mike, I'll give the good news first, <laughs> and then the bad news and cause for concern uh, second. The good news, well, we now have a Supreme Court that is serious about constitutional and statutory protections of religious liberty. That really is new. We have not had a court like that prior to this in my lifetime. The Beckett Fund has won, I think, eight religious liberty cases in a row at the Supreme Court. And uh, other religious liberty public interest law firms, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, for example, have a similar record of, of victories. And that's just what's happening up there at the top. Victories are also being won in the lower federal courts, in the U.S. courts of appeal for the various uh, circuits. That's all really, really good news. Now, more good news. I think in what we call red states in our terribly and tragically polarized America, what we call red states, that is Republican states, especially states that have a Republican governor and Republican control of the legislature. There is a heightened awareness of the importance of enacting legislation to protect conscience in the medical area and in other areas, to protect religious freedom, to protect the rights of those who dissent from the secular progressive or woke orthodoxy especially in institutions like, uh, like hospitals. This is very promising. This is very important. There has been some awareness in those states in the past, but it has not been made, in most cases, a priority. 
and where religious freedom restoration acts, for example, have been challenged too often in the past, Republicans, including Republican governors, including prominent, notable Republican governors, have caved in to business, to pressure from the business community, the woke business community, and the LGBT lobby and all these other organizations have caved in and abandoned religious freedom protection. The good news is, in our new situation, with a heightened awareness of the importance of standing up for religious freedom against these woke onslaughts, standing up for conscience, we're going to do better. We're going to get legislation in those states that we need. An important moment of all this was when Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida stood up to Disney. Mm-hmm. When Disney opposed legislation he supported and signed into law, that began, in, of course, in the legislature in Florida, but he signed into law, which protected families, protected young children from explicit sex education in the early years in public schools. Uh, the woke labeled this the quote, don't say gay bill. They, they slandered it. Uh, they lied about it from morning to night. They depict, tried to depict um, uh, Governor DeSantis and those who supported the bills as, as the bill as uh, bigots. And uh, in the past, when they bought, brought that kind of pressure on Republican politicians, Republican leaders in states, those leaders have caved in. DeSantis did not cave in. He stood firm. He stood up to Disney. He knocked them down. In fact, he knocked them out of the ring. And then he jumped out of the ring himself and went chasing after them with a chair. (laughs) And the approbation, the support, the applause from Christian and other conservatives that Governor DeSantis received did not go unnoticed by other Republican politicians around the country. One thing I've learned about politicians over uh, my career is they are really quick learners. <laughs> they <laughs> have when to they be. see another politician's success, uh-huh. uh, they will try to, um, to emulate it. So that's all on the good news front. But, but Mike, you also wanted me to deliver the bad news. And the bad news is this. First, in the blue states, there is no support for religious liberty against the onslaughts from the woke. No support for dissenters in universities, including state universities. No support for dissenters in hospitals, for Christians, Orthodox Jews, Muslims, people of other faiths who do not want to participate in or refer for abortions, who do not want to implicate themselves in transgender surgery or the administration of transgender hormones, especially to children and this kind of thing. No support in the political class. And behind that is the following tragic fact. The great institutions of our society, cultural, educational, uh, philanthropic, business. Professional societies. Professional societies, accrediting agencies, have turned against not only the substantive morality that we, Mike and Jeff, represent, but turned against conscience protection for those who do hold fast to that moral view. And when you have all the great institutions, the powerful institutions of the culture against you, Mm. that's a perilous situation to be in. Now, thank God, we've got a sane Supreme Court, Mm. a good Supreme Court. Uh, Thank God, the, the blue states aren't everywhere. Uh, There are red states, but 
even in the red states, you've got the challenges represented when the great institutions are against you. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to have to figure out a way to meet those challenges. Well, Professor George, uh, another area of, I guess you could say, pressure coming at us, uh, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, is that in early January, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services released a notice of proposed rulemaking, better known as the NPRM, that was entitled Safeguarding the Rights of Conscience as Protected by Federal Statutes. And if this new proposed rule is finalized, what it will do is actually remove the enforcement mechanisms for federal conscience protections that were added under the Trump administration in 2019. And my question to you with this is, haven't liberals historically served as the great defenders of conscience? Well, of course, that's how they prided themselves uh, for many generations. Liberals prided themselves as the defenders of civil liberty. Uh, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, was a liberal organization. Uh, they defended themselves, they, they prided themselves on defending freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of association, the right of dissenters to petition the government for redress of grievances. They stood for due process and equal protection. But now, those concepts are associated with the conservative side. It's the conservatives defending freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, the right of dissent, the right to think for oneself, to speak one's mind, not to be punished for dissenting from prevailing orthodoxies. So we've had something of a switcheroo uh, here. Conservatives were not historically associated strongly with the defense of civil liberties. Liberals were. Now it's the other way around. But notice contemporary liberals, and, and Jeff, the point you just made is a very good example of this. Notice that contemporary liberals in an almost Orwellian, no almost to it, in an Orwellian fashion, have tried to reappropriate the language of civil liberties mm -hmm. to undermine the very civil liberties that their language is designed to uh, create the impression that they're supporting. So they call this uh, this new provision the Freedom of Conscience Act or Protection mm -hmm. of Conscience Act. Mm -hmm. uh, no. Now, uh, we're not idiots. We can see through this foolishness. We can see through this manipulation of, of language. We've read our George Orwell. We're not going to let you get away with this. You are undermining conscience. You're not protecting conscience. Same thing with freedom of religion. So now they're trying to do things like defend abortion by reference to freedom of religion. We have a case from a, a, a group called the Satanic Church, I think, claiming that abortion is a sacrament in their so-called church. And that, uh, that therefore religious freedom protects the, the right to have abortions. Well, again, we're not idiots. We've read our Orwell. We know how the game is played. We're not going to let you manipulate language uh, and get away with this kind of nonsense. Uh, you on the woke left do not stand for or support freedom of conscience. And we're not going to let you appropriate that phrase. You do not stand for freedom of religion. We're not going to let you appropriate that phrase. You do not stand for freedom of speech. Mm. I'm not going to let you appropriate that that phrase. Now, we ourselves need to redouble our efforts to stand for all those values. And we do need to protect them, not only for ourselves, but for everybody, including people who disagree with us. That's very important. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. We don't want to be guilty of the very things 
that we're rightly accusing the woke left of, of, of being guilty of. We need to stand for these principles on principle, as a matter of principle. In a number of your writings, um, Robbie, you, you emphasize that over and over again, and you've lived that out in your own experience there at Princeton, uh, defending uh, the views of others, even though that we are vehemently against. I've talked to a number of our members, uh, Robbie, who are in academics, in our institutions of higher learning, medical schools, uh, residency program directors, and they sit on admissions committees and review applications. And over and over again, I'm hearing more and more of the stories that when a candidate uh, for medical school is identified anywhere in their application as being Christian or their undergraduate, even if they don't identify themselves, but they come from a school that's traditionally known to be a religious organization, even though they are highly qualified, according to our members who are in these committees, they are minoritized. They are not allowed to be in. So my question is this, have grad schools somehow, is there some way for them to be held accountable for these highly discriminatory practices? Yes, there is. You'll remember that famous line of Dr. Johnson's reported to us by uh, Boswell, that nothing uh, concentrates the mind quite like the prospect of a hanging in the morning. <laughs> well, the equivalent here of a, of, of a hanging is losing a lawsuit and having to pay millions of dollars as a result of losing a, a, a discrimination uh, lawsuit. And among the protected categories, it's important for us to remind ourselves, is religion. So discriminating against a Christian student, an Orthodox Jewish student, a devout Muslim student who is pro-life or uh, does not buy into gender ideology, discriminating against those people is illegal. Uh, in most cases, it is illegal. And even in private institutions under the civil rights laws, it is illegal. And there are causes of action uh, for uh, those violations of people's uh, rights constitutional rights in some cases, statutory rights in other cases, contractual rights in other cases. There are causes of action that need to be brought. Uh, a few multi-million, maybe tens of millions of dollars judgments against medical schools, colleges and universities, law schools that engage in this kind of discrimination will concentrate the minds mm -hmm. of the administrators and boards of trustees of these institutions. And that's where I think we have to, we have to bring Would in. Would you agree it's pretty uh, difficult to prove though, uh, Robbie? Oh, uh, yes. Yes. It's difficult to prove and it's going to take some courage. And this is my fundamental message to all of us. We need some courage. We need courage of people. Mike has referred to the people who have witnessed this when they're serving on committees. We need whistleblowers. Mm -hmm. That takes courage. But those whistleblowers, when they muster the courage to tell the truth and bring the truth to light, giving an opening for a cause of action by someone who's been a victim of discrimination, once you can get in the courthouse door with that, then we're in what's called the discovery process. Mm -hmm. And that's an open-ended thing. Mm -hmm. Access to internal emails, depositions of what was said in meetings, all the truth comes tumbling out. Uh, and it will be that kind of scenario, I think, that produces the verdicts that will begin to turn this thing around. But 
what, what, what will never get there if people are cowardly, if people who know what's going on and know concrete specifics and examples of what's going on to protect themselves and their own careers or to avoid alienating themselves from their colleagues remain quiet. We can't afford that kind of cowardice today. We need courage. Well, Robbie, this is a related question, and you may have already answered it, but I wanted to bring up uh, the fact that uh, on February 22nd, the Department of Education released their own new proposed regulation that is removing language in the current DOE regulation that protects religious student organizations on campuses. So as I understand this new regulation, the DOE is rescinding these existing regulations that require the DOE to enforce freedoms of religious groups on campuses by withdrawing federal funding from those institutions that are found to be guilty of discriminating against them. So their stated reason is that they are not necessary to protect the First Amendment right to free speech and free exercise of religion. So do you agree with the Department of Education that there are adequate protections for campus religious groups without these inside regulations and protections? And what are your thoughts about this newly proposed regulation from DOE? Well, I mean, it's just another instance of the woke assault on dissent, on freedom of conscience, on freedom of speech, on freedom of religion. They want to remove protection so that they, the Justice Department, can go after people whose views they disagree with. It's really that simple. Now, you know, we do have legal protections and we're going to fight in court. Uh, as you know, I'm on the board of the Beckett Fund and I can tell you for sure that the Beckett Fund is going to be on top of these kinds of issues. I'm sure our friends over at Alliance Defending Freedom will be as well and there will be, there will be others. But in addition to the judicial and legal uh, domain, there is the political domain, and here it is incumbent on Christians, Orthodox Jews, Muslims, everybody, people of faith, and even people who, who, who are not associated with religious traditions, who nevertheless respect the rights of conscience and realize how important religious freedom and the rights of conscience are. It's incumbent on all of us to be involved in the political process with a firm intent, with a resolution to make the politicians who are responsible for things like what you just outlined from the Department of Education pay the ultimate political price, get voted out of office, that their party loses control of legislative uh, bodies. There, there is an inescapable, unavoidable political dimension to this. You know, we, we, can, we can talk and we can complain and we can shout and scream, but unless some politicians pay the price for not protecting our religious freedom, for violating our religious freedom, this is going to go on and on and on. And we're going to lose more and more of our religious freedom and more and more of our rights to speak our minds. You know, I've been thinking how how rare is Professor Robert George to be heading up law department at Princeton, Ivy League school, to find a conservative Christian with your perspective and thinking, wow, I, I hope God keeps him alive for a good long time here to be influencing us. And then I, I saw something that you wrote in Deseret News, which I had not read before, about the Stanford Free Speech Declaration and just saw page after page after page of signatures from professors 
all across the country standing for free speech in non-sectarian schools, like you call Princeton is one of those in public universities. So are there a large group of uh, Professor Robert Georges out there that were just not aware of who, who agree with you, who are main, maybe not as outspoken as you, and we hope we'll, we'll speak up more in the future? Well, just about exactly two years ago, in March of 2021, uh, I was among uh, a then small uh, group of professors that founded a new organization called the Academic Freedom Alliance to protect religious freedom in colleges and universities, private and public across the, across the country. And that alliance of professors, and I would encourage your listeners to go to our website, the Academic Freedom Alliance, just Google Academic Freedom Alliance. Uh, that group of uh, professors, which has now grown and is quite a large group of uh, professors, I think we're up to nearly a thousand members now, represent academics across the spectrum of religious and political beliefs. There are conservatives and Christians like me. There are progressive Christians like my friend Cornell West. There are secular people. Uh, there are uh, people representing other uh, traditions of faith, some of whom are more on the conservative side, some are more on the progressive side. But what all the members of the Academic Freedom Alliance have in common is the recognition of the importance of people in academia particularly. More generally, yes, but especially in academia where we're all about the pursuit of truth. The importance of people in academia being able to think for themselves and speak their minds without threat of unjust sanction or, or punishment. And this is very encouraging to see people joining together against this attack on academic freedom and freedom of speech that we see across the country, especially in the academic world, joining together across the lines of historic religious and ideological difference. Now, there are plenty of people who will not join the Academic Freedom Alliance because they don't believe in academic freedom. They really don't believe in freedom of speech. They want to turn our universities into propaganda centers. Mm -hmm. And they want, they're happy to let teaching devolve into indoctrination. But thank God we're not alone as conservative Christians standing up for genuine scholarship that's not propaganda, genuine teaching that is not indoctrination. We're not alone. There are people of other faiths, there are people of no faith, there are fellow conservatives, but also people on the more progressive side who are willing to stand with us. And all the Academic Freedom Alliance did was bring them together. Sounds like a, a great organization, maybe something for us in the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine to really work toward to get that many members. So um... uh, That's right. I think another thing that you in Hippocratic Medicine need to do, and all of us need to help you, is to deal with the accreditation issue because the accreditors of medical schools themselves are getting very close to abusing their authority by using accreditation as a way of whipping medical schools that dismiss, especially religiously affiliated medical schools that dissent from the woke orthodoxy, whipping them into line to ensure that they conform to progressive left woke ideology. You know, you can't do business without being accredited for lots of reasons. But if the accreditors allow ideological bias, especially the sort of ideological bias that undermines academic freedom, to slip into the accrediting process, 
it's going to be hard for those schools to survive with their integrity and their religious commitments intact. Yeah, that that actually is an excellent point and leads into my next question. And Robbie, I know that uh, you're going to be sharing with us at our CMDA National Convention. So have you given any thought of what you're going to share and maybe give us a sneak preview? Well, what I'd like to do is is talk about the threats to academic freedom in medicine, especially, but but more broadly, uh, the threats to the rights of conscience, the very threats that we've been talking about today, and share some thoughts about how we ought to go about addressing those threats. But my uh, thoughts will uh, uh, include not only some ideas about what institutions will do or need to do. They're going to be thoughts about what we as individuals need to do. Mm-hmm. And at the heart of that is going to be my call for courage. Mm. We will not win if we are cowering in the corner. We will not protect the sacred rights of conscience. We will not protect the sanctity of human life. We will not protect children against the ravages of gender ideology unless we have the courage to stand, the courage to speak out, the courage to be unpopular. And we see too little of it. Now, courage is a virtue that is in short supply anywhere and everywhere. It's in short supply in all times and places. Have you ever known a place, a time, ever, anywhere, where there was a surplus of courage? Right, right. (laughs) right. (laughs) But I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is courage is contagious. I've noticed this with young people. When they see a courageous act, they are inspired by it and they want to emulate it. Mm -hmm. That's how courage spreads. Courage really is contagious and that is really good news. So if a few people, it doesn't have to be millions or even thousands, a few dozen, if just a few people would stand up and exemplify the courage, it would begin to spread. We'd have the contagion. Now here's the bad news. What's true of courage is also true of cowardice. It is contagious, mm-hmm. especially with young people. If they see the grown-ups cowering with fear, keeping their mouths shut when they should be speaking out, if they see the grown-ups being chickens, they will emulate that behavior. They will infer, this must be the way you live a life. This is the way you get through life. This is the way you avoid yourself being victimized. So we need courage and it's up to us, it's up to the grownups to model it for our young people. Hmm. And you know what, and I'll tell you the other thing, you will find if you do this, you'll be scared, but that's what courage is, right? It's overcoming fear. You'll be scared to speak your mind, to say I'm pro-life or to say I'm against the mutilation of children in the name of gender ideology. You'll be scared because you know that people are going to call you names and people are going to defame you. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you a hater. They're going to call you a misogynist and so forth and so on. You're going to be scared. But here's something else you will find. When you don't cave, when you stand your ground, it throws them completely off balance. They don't know what to do with you. (laughs) Suddenly, they're thinking, hey, I can't roll this guy. I can't knock this gal down. She's gonna stand her ground, he's gonna stand 
his ground. And guess what? Pretty soon they're scared of you. They think you must have, they don't know what it is. <laughs> they think you must have something because you're standing up to them. Yeah. Believe me, you will knock them completely off balance. Stand your ground, speak your mind, stand up for what's right. Exemplify some courage. Our young people need that from you. Thank you, Professor George, for that inspiring challenge. Uh, it, it makes me think of what Peter said when he said, you know, setting apart Christ as Lord in our hearts, always being prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope that you have. And I, I think I'm, I'm also hearing in that scripture maybe the courage that you have. Then the question is why? Uh, how, could, how were you able to do that from other students who are maybe in the middle, uh, maybe not those who are radical, but those who are watching, as you have just been suggesting? Thank you so much. We've been uh, speaking with Professor Robert George from Princeton, uh, who's going to be there with us at our national convention uh, late morning on Friday, April 28th is our speaker. And I can't wait to be there and be inspired in person for the first time with uh, Robbie George. Thanks for taking time out of your day today and for inspiring us. And uh, we will be praying for you that uh, your influence will continue to spread and become contagious among other, among others uh, in prestigious universities just like uh, you in Princeton. Thank you so much, Mike and Jeff. It's such a pleasure to be on with you. God bless you. Wow, what a powerful and inspiring challenge from Professor Robert George at the end of this week's interview. And the best part is that we're going to hear even more from Prof. George at the 2023 CMDA National Convention. Well, I might sound like a broken record at this point, but I truly do hope that you are planning to join us at the convention and hear more from Professor George. If you haven't registered already, keep listening for more details. We've now reached more than 905 registered for that conference. The 2023 CMDA National Convention will be here before you know it. Have you reserved your spot yet? We're joining together in the Cincinnati, Ohio area on April 27th through the 30th because we know the value of fellowshipping and worshiping with other Christians in healthcare. This is the place to find resilience in your life, your faith, and your practice. Our speakers at this premier event for healthcare professionals include Professor Robert George from Princeton University, Dr. Kristen Collier from the University of Michigan, President Emeritus of World Vision, Rich Stearns, and many more. We sold out last year, so don't wait to register. To reserve your spot at this year's convention, visit natcon.cmda.org. I was so intrigued to hear Professor George talking about the Academic Freedom Alliance and how its members are so wide and varied in their political and religious beliefs, but they are so united in their commitment to protecting conscience freedoms. If you'd like to learn more about this initiative, just visit academicfreedom.org, or you can find the link in our show notes today. And speaking of academics, I also want to encourage you to check out CMDA's Christian Academic Physicians and Scientists Specialty Section, known around here as CAPS. This group is a community of Christian academic physicians and scientists. They're committed to transforming their academic communities through faith, fellowship, and scholarship. They also hold monthly webinars for their members to join together. If you'd like more information, just visit cmda.org CAPS.
Just as we were discussing with Professor George just a few minutes ago, protecting your conscience freedoms in healthcare is of utmost importance to us at CMDA. That's why we've partnered with Beckett Legal and Alliance Defending Freedom in the last several years to engage in court cases that seek to protect your healthcare right of conscience. And as we've talked about before on this podcast, we celebrated a great victory in federal court in late 2022 with our permanent injunction in the transgender mandate case. Cases just like this show the true importance of the new Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine. The Alliance includes five healthcare organizations that have come together to uphold, as well as promote the fundamental principles of Hippocratic Medicine. CMDA, well, we're one of those organizations, and we're joined in the Alliance by the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, the American College of Pediatricians, the Catholic Medical Association, as well as the Coptic Medical Association of North America. The Alliance is a direct response to the fact that medicine seems to have moved further and further away from traditional Hippocratic principles. The members of the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine affirm that healthcare professionals should never be forced to participate in or refer for therapy that violates our conscience. If you'd like more information about the Alliance, just visit allianceforhippocraticmedicine.org. Have you heard about freedomtocare.org? It is the hub for CMDA's advocacy work. There you will find resources, ways to get involved, information about active federal bills that we are tracking, and much more. Freedom to Care is focused on educating, encouraging, and equipping citizens to advocate our First Amendment freedoms. Plus, we enable healthcare professionals to uphold life-honoring principles found within traditional Hippocratic medical ethics. For more information, visit freedomtocare.org. That's freedom, the number two, care.org. CMDA's advocacy team continues to be actively involved in both state and federal legislation that seeks to protect your conscience freedoms. And they need more CMDA members to engage in this work as well. If you'd like to learn more about how you can stand up and join in this effort with us to protect conscience freedoms in healthcare, contact us using advocacy at cmda.org. Oh, and if you have faced discrimination on campus or at work for your religious convictions, we want to know about it. And we want to walk through that journey with you. You can just share your story with us, again, by contacting us using advocacy at cmda.org. I've got one last resource to share with you on this topic, and it's the CMDA Ethics Statement on Healthcare Right of Conscience. It's a great starting point to learn more about the importance of conscience rights in healthcare because it's based on biblical, scientific, moral, and social principles. You'll find that statement and dozens more on today's ethical issues at cmda.org ethics.
God willing, Dr. Barrows and I will be back next week for a conversation with Dr. Matthew Epinet. He is the executive director of the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. He joined us to talk about the latest resources available to you from the center, as well as share about their upcoming conference that's in June. As always, if you want to suggest a future guest for our podcast, just email us, please, at cmdamatters at cmda.org. And if you like our podcast, please be sure to give us a five-star rating and share us on your favorite social media platform. Professor George's challenge at the end, well, it was so powerful. I wrote it down, and here it is again. He said, we will not win if we are cowering in the corner. We will not protect the rights of conscience unless we have the courage to speak out and the courage to be unpopular. Courage is contagious, he said, and that is really good news. Friends, we live in a world full of both good news and bad news. And the bad news at times can seem almost overwhelming. Where the morning after a shooting in Nashville, children and teachers died, and it really can bring us sometimes to despair. But courage is contagious. So let's pray together for an outbreak of such courage in healthcare right now. We know that the great physician stands beside us and in front of us. He empowers us. And that, friends, is really good news. So this week, let's have courage, courage that is contagious, courage to stand up for conscience that is informed by biblically-based bioethics, informed by clinical evidence that has rigorously been tested and informed by our professional experience caring for patients as Christ would. And as we do so, we will bring the hope and healing of Jesus Christ to our world. That's what matters to CMDA, and CMDA matters more than ever. We'll see you next week, God willing. This podcast has been a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. CMDA is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on this podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members and are not intended to imply endorsement of any political party or candidate.